life is so Okay, y'all, it's uh, 6.30. Let's be good Baptists and start on time. <laughs> oh, okay. You brought dinner? What? Oh. We used to do that here, didn't we? Before I came. <laughs> okay. Oh, it might be? Okay. Okay, cool. Uh, well, we're going to sing. Oh, uh, Chris, could you turn that projector on for me, please? Yeah, I need, oh, I know this one. Okay, and we're going to do acapella. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. Okay, uh, his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him. Love and adore him. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. And I should pray. <laughs> Our dear Henry Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this evening, Lord. We uh, uh, just thank you, all of these people come together to learn about your word and uh, worship together. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this heat. Um, I'm not sure why, but I know I know it's in your plan, Lord. Um, we just thank thank you for everything that you've done for us, and uh, bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you hear me now? All right. I put all these in the NIV and printed them out for us so that it would be simpler for everybody because I've got a lot of, tonight's a lot of information, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Um, we know that in chapter 2, there's a lot of info in there. And it has to do with Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But he sets, he sets all of his advisors and astrologers and magicians up to fail. So as we look at this and we think about this, we want to talk about some things here tonight. So I'm just going to read those first seven verses. And then for each one of these other sections, I'll have someone else read those. But if they would read it off the sheet out of the NIV... Uh, at least presenting it to, to all the rest of us so that we can all be on the same page, I think it would be a little simpler for us to understand. 
So in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Now this is, this is the interesting point. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Now, <laughs> They're stuck between a rock and a hard spot here, aren't they? A little bit. Chapter 2 tells us, and some of this is on your outline, some of this is not. Okay? Uh, chapter 2 tells us and reveals to us why Daniel had to be ten times better. This is the why. Um, he had to save the scientist of Babylon, along with himself and his friends. So he's in this precarious situation. But he doesn't even know about this yet. He's really in a, in a, a tough spot. Um, his beginning, if you remember last week, when we looked at chapter 1, the second part of chapter 1, his beginning was grounded in his decision to say yes to God and no to all this other stuff. And that's where we need to be in our relationship with God. Strong enough to say yes, but strong enough to say no to this crazy world. And I heard some crazy stuff the last three days um, and you probably have too um, as a result of that Daniel was able to firmly say that and know that he was found ten times better than all those other astrologers scientists and magicians so the king gave him an impossible request that's the first villain and we're just doing a few villains tonight okay but the king gave an gave an impossible request to all these guys. Now, Daniel's getting ready to learn about this in, in a few verses from now, but he made such an unreasonable request, and not only did he expect the interpretation, but he expected them to tell him their, his dream. So, you know, nobody's been able to do that, right? Right? If you had a dream, it'd like be waking up to your spouse in the morning and say, hey, tell me what I dreamed last night. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. The second thing was Nebuchadnezzar's temper tantrum that he started to throw. Would somebody read 8 through 13 there, plural, please? Astrologers answered the 
Okay. So they were sort of helpless, weren't they? I mean, he's the king. If he said off with your head, it was off with your head. And he's not only going to, you know, off with your head and cut you into pieces, he's going to make their houses rubble, and he's probably in the process going to take out their families because that, that was the order of the day. So the magicians, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, all those guys, all of his visors, they were on their way out, and it could be short order. Today's prophets remind us, the statement on the bottom of that page, of our modern world in which educated men try to tell the future. Nobody knows the future. Right? Today's prophets. That's, that's a problem. You know, countless experts have studied finance and economy in an attempt to forecast the future. The truth is nobody knows the future. We're never going to see the future. Think about it. Not even a simple weather report is 100% accurate. They can have all these maps and all these things on the wall, and they're telling you, the local meteorologist is telling you all this good stuff, but they're not always 100% right. So they're, they're guesstimating at best guess. Um, but here's the problem. We often want to know, is it, is it going to be sunshiny tomorrow or are we going to get a little rain? Is it going to be cloudy to cool things off? We always want to know that. And basically, that is human nature. And we all do that, unfortunately. Um, so that next fill-in is declaring the beginning from the end. Declaring the beginning from the end. And somebody would read just Isaiah 46, 9, 10, that first part for us. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, who is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Is God given his own personal testimony for the record? Is, is he saying it clear and concise? Is, is he beating around the bush? No. He's saying it very, very straight and up front. And, and Isaiah is another good book that talks about these type of things. You know, he, he, he basically adds something in 48.8 and 8.5. 48.5. Someone read that for me, please. So he's saying, look, there's only one entity, not a man, not a woman, that can forecast and tell the future, and that is me. He allows us to know the future sometimes, and this is where Daniel is leading up to, because Daniel believes the exact same thing. This is Isaiah was the one that Daniel listened to and, and basically was mentored by in regard to paying attention to God. So he's, he's got this mindset. Daniel knows this God. Daniel understands Isaiah's writings. And he trusted 
in God, the one and only who declare what could be and the future to come. So he goes on. And this is a deciding moment. That next villain is, is, this is a deciding moment for Daniel. This is a deciding moment for the king. This is a deciding moment for all these guys that he's planning on executing. And Daniel is, is, is going to now become aware of all this. So someone read uh, 14 through 18 for us, please. So Daniel was very brave in this. They'd already ordered the execution of all the wise men in Israel, or all the wise men in Babylon, rather. And yet he went to the king and asked for time. So he was brave and courageous on that fact, just going to the king and asking for more time. And you have to think about this a little bit. And then he called a prayer meeting. Right? Because he knew there was only one entity that could answer that dream and answer that question, that impossible question that the king had gave the wise men of Babylon. So he, he understands that and he knows that. So he took time to pray. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to later on declare the king of Israel, and the, the God of Israel, is the one and only true king. But he's not there yet. He's like a lot of people on earth right now. They're not there yet. But one day they're going to be. So, let's read on just a little bit. Uh, verse 17 for us, somebody. Okay, now we jumped ahead to 417 just so that we could see a, a, a little glimpse of exactly what God is saying and what Daniel is understanding and what the king is going to come to understand. But like I said, he's not really there yet. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. He's saying only those that know God and only those that are tied in and have that direct line of communication through prayer, praise, and worship. And we talked about that a little bit last week, and we're going to talk about it more this week, this Sunday. It's, it's imperative that those things keep us connected to God. That's how we stay connected, and that's how we stay safe, I guess, is the best term. So we have to think about that. Daniel was able to make this request because of his relationship with God. And the result is what? He revealed it in a vision, right? 
So somebody read 19 and 20 for me. Well, I think it's 19, 20, and 21, isn't it? No, it's 19 and 20. I'm sorry. Okay, so in prayer of thanksgiving, Daniel revealed something that still applies to us today. And that is basically that the ultimate authority lies in God's hands. And if we will believe that and we will act like that and, and move like that, he will continue to bless us. And, and we're going to be talking about God's blessing because we're just starting the book of Ephesians. I mean, the book of Ephesians is about all kinds of God's blessings. And we're going to learn more and more about those as time goes on. Um, someone read 21 and 22 for us. Amen. Look, God rules the devil's world. God is still in charge. This world will tell us otherwise. And it, it, tells, us, it tells the whole world that otherwise. Not just non-Christians, but Christians too. Because what is it trying to do? Look, we just had a recent uh, email attack where our text attack, actually, but it came through some people's emails, too. And anyone that had any connection with the church got that crazy text or that email that I supposedly sent that I did not. But we found out that there was two organizations later that claimed responsibility for those attacks, but they attacked nonprofits and specifically religious organizations across the country with that stupid text or that email just trying to disrupt and, and, and dismantle the trust that was built within those bodies. And we need to understand that kind of stuff is going to start coming hot, hard and heavy. And we need to be mentally prepared for it. Yeah. Well, the, the groups claim responsibility and want credit for it. But you've got to figure out where they're at. A lot of these groups, a lot of these people are working anonymously in foreign countries. They're not even here in the States. But their whole sole purpose is just to aggravate things. And I understand, unfortunately, that some of our people did respond to that. But the way they responded didn't allow them to do anything else after the fact. They were just able to respond to it, and they never got another response back. So it is possible that, that, that because of these previous attacks by other two orga other organizations, they were tracking them and were trying to shut some of that down. I don't know. Um, Paul, you back there? Did they ever find? Did they ever communicate anything back to us in that? No, and it was only email. No text. It was only email. Okay. Only email. So if you get email on your phone, that's that's how it came about. So, but that's, that's part of the problem. Listen, we have to remember, 
the Lord installs governments and he removes governments. And we're going to talk about governmental stuff here in a minute. This, this part of it tonight is sort of, sort of abbreviated and shortened. But we're going to talk about governments and some other things. And I'm going to read you some things here in a few minutes. But the Holy Spirit instructed Paul to admonish the Christians to be subject to the prevailing government for reasons. And I know that there's a lot of governmental hoopla going on, all right, in our society today. But we have to remember, God is still in control. Even though there's times when it doesn't look like it, he's still in control. And we have to remember that. Romans 13.1 says this, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. So we have to remember that he's in charge of the governments also. And he'll remove whoever he wants in office and he'll put back in whoever he wants in office. So we have to, we have to keep that in mind. Um, verse 23, somebody. All right, so Daniel and his buddies prayed. They have the response. He knows the answer. So now he's got to go back before the king. So this is his second visit before the king. So he's, he's got the intestinal fortitude. He's got the confidence to go back because now he knows he has the solution. He has the answer to the king's impossible question. But that request... He has to go back and request to be able to ask permission to go before the king again. So, you know, he's, he's, he's really struggling with some things here that an ordinary person, can you imagine being one of those other enchanters or magicians or advisors wanting to go back before the king when he says, off with your head already? <laughs> yeah, Daniel wasn't worried about that because he had God's assurance and God's knowledge of, of what he needed to do. So he was able to do that. Yeah, Verity. Think of it the other way. All those other enchanters seeing Daniel. Daniel wanted to go back in there and go, oh my God, what is he going to say? Yeah, they're probably thinking, what is wrong with this guy, right? Right? All right, so somebody read the last section of this, verses 24 through 30, and you're basically going to unwind the story here, but the, we're going to stop at verse 30 for tonight. And, and I want to plant this seed for you guys to really think about what Daniel is starting to explain. And next week, he's, he's really going to get into greater detail. We'll look at the last 18 verses next week, God be willing. But, but he's really going to lay it out. And he's starting to right here, but he's unwinding the king's story and he's letting the king see. And the king's going to be overwhelmed because of what Daniel tells him in these, these remaining verses. All right? So somebody read that for us.
So Daniel's laying out the foundation. He's saying, King, I saw this much of this dream. And he's getting ready to just lay it all out for him. And that's what we're going to do next week. But I wanted to talk to you about some things tonight and, and, and finish up this section with what I started talking to you about last week in regard to the empires. And, and a lot of this uh, came out of, believe it or not, National Geographic from years ago. Um, I did some background research on this and made absolutely sure that, that this was correct. But as I said, there was four Gentile superpowers at the time of Daniel. It was Babylon, it was Persia, and I'll, I'll print this out in a different manner for you guys to give you next week, but I just wanted you to hear part of it this week. Um, Persia, Greece, and Rome. So those four, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And, and you have to remember some of the visions and interpretations. Um, Daniel was basically living in that iron and clay empire time. And, and what that means is it, it's, it's a definition of the quality of the government more than anything else. But as we, as we start looking at these things, we start reading these things, we have to remember... Anytime you hear about the iron and clay mix, they're speaking about the Roman government. Okay, so keep that in mind. The Roman world was the last empire, and contrary to popular belief, it really hasn't existed to exist. We talked about this briefly last week. Because a lot of our government and a lot of European governments are based on Roman um, governmental statutes and standards. So, think about this. There was a book that was put out back in uh, the late 1900s called Saddam's Mystery of Babylon. And it incorporated, it was, it was when the Iraq-Iran war was going on. And Saddam Hussein become obsessed with all this stuff about Babylon. And he was so entwined in this, he wanted to know everything. He actually was going to, and he, he did part of it, was going to take Babylon and tear Babylon apart and take it to where he wanted it and put it back together, brick by brick. brick. So some of this stuff took place. Some of the Roman origins in the year 244, or, or I should say 509 B.C., 
Um, the patriotic families of Rome, they set up a quasi-representative form of government with a pair of ruling councils elected for one-year terms. Now what they did is, is they, this marked the beginning of the Roman Republic as they knew it then. And it starts basically the republics that we have in the countries today. It was the start of those things. Um, it was a form of government that would continue until Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon 460 years later. Those five centuries were marked by increasing prosperity and increased democracy in Rome under that type of Roman rule. So that early democratic system really set the foundation for many of the world governments today. And many of those world governments still use a majority of those things. How did they get to where they are? Now, I want you to think about this. Fat cat contributors. Even back then, get this. By the second century BC, the right to vote was firmly established. Rome developed a vigorous political system, one that be, would not be unfamiliar to the citizens of modern democracy today. There were parties and factions and many, many fat cat contributors. There was banners and billboards and also negative advertising against each other and a pund class at the polls. They were, they, it was just like today. But it was done in a different way, in a different manner, of course, at that time. The Romans were granted the right to vote, but they had to be a free man. Okay? They couldn't be a slave or anything like that in order to vote. So some of the same things. The rights and duties of the citizens were this. Roman administration at the local level was very flexible, tolerant, and open. When Rome went in and conquered a new providence, this, this was interesting to me. Typically, and we know this, typically their generals and their armies were, were carried away or carted away in chains. We know that. Almost everyone was moved out. But the local elite was often allowed to remain in a hierarchy system if they became Roman citizens. But that was part of the process. The local businesses would be gaining benefits because of the roads, the water systems, the laws of commerce, and the courts, the judicial systems. And Roman soldiers would continue, would come in and guard the town against pirates and marauders. So they gain things. It'd be like the city of Tucson accessing everything out here and saying, look, we're going to give you guys some goodies, but we're going to access your property and you're going to become part of the city of Tucson now, rather than just in a county. So it, it was the same type of process that was used there. So here Augustus comes in on the scene. And Augustus talks about anti-abortion, which I found was interesting also. Augustus used all the tools of the governing parties concerned with a decline in birth rate. He employed both the stick and carrot type method, a crackdown on abortion, and tax incentive for bigger families. That's back in biblical times. 
So it, it's, it's the same type of process. Under the Roman rule, they were looking for, and, and we see it today. What are, what, are we, what are we told in Revelation? We just finished Revelation. What are they pushing for? What is the world pushing for? For peace and prosperity. A one-world government. Get this. History recalls Marcus Aurelius in... 161 and 180 BC. The philosopher king who maintained a perspective in the midst of imperial splendor. As the emperor of Rome is my homeland. As a man, I am a citizen of the world. Asia and Europe are mere dots on the map. He said this. The ocean is merely a drop of water. Mighty Mount Athos is a grain of sand in the universe. Even the Scylla cynical Gibeon had to flip his hat. If a man were called to fix a period of history in the world during which the condition of the human race was the most happy and prosperous, he would, without hesitation, name that time between 96 AD and 180 AD. But this was, this was written uh, in, a, on a, in a book called The Five Good Emperors. So they were looking to be and set up, even at that time, a one-world government. How many years have they been trying? And I talked, occasionally I'll talk to a, a Christian or a believer, and, and they'll be all worried about this one-world government thing. It's like, they've been trying for quite a while. I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about yet. Today's democracies could not function the way they function without the Roman law and rule that they carried over to this period of time. The English historian Peter Solwell notes that England under Roman rule had a higher rate of literacy than any British government was able to. One of the most important documentary legacies of the Romans left behind was their law. The comprehensive body of case law that some scholars considered our greatest inheritance from ancient Rome. The ideal of written law as a shield to protect individuals, now get this, against one another and against awesome power of the state and the government. Think about that for a second. It was a concept the Romans took from the Greeks, but it was Rome who put those abstract notions into daily practice. Um, One of the things that came out of it was the statutes and the laws and regulations and rules of innocent until proven guilty. And it talks about that. Two millennia before the Miranda warnings came into existence, the Romans also established safeguards to assure the rights of accused criminals. We can see this process at work in cases against the Christian pioneer Paul, as set forth in the New Testament in Acts. In chapter 22 of Acts, Paul is brought before a Roman magistrate on criminal charges, apparently for something like provoking a riot. The police were, are just about to beat him up and put him in jail when Paul pipes up and says he is a Roman citizen. That changes everything. He is immediately permitted to remain free pending his trial. Festus responds in chapter 25, and we all know this pretty much, with a lecture on legal rights. He said, is it not 
the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against such charges. Innocent until proven guilty. America's democratic system is clearly modeled after this Roman Republic, and we'll probably end here. During the era of Roman Republic in 509 to 49 BC, legislation was first passed um, by the assembly of citizens, then approved by the representative of the upper classes, the Senate, and issued in the name of the Senate and the people of Rome. Century later, the American founding fathers launched their bold experiment in democratic, in democratic government. They took the Republican Roman government as their model. Our laws, too, must go through two legislative bodies. The House of Representatives is our assembly of citizens, and its counterpart, like its counterpart in ancient Rome. And the U.S. Senate is originally designed as a chamber for the elite. It was not until the 17th Amendment uh, of 1913 that the ordinary people were allowed to vote for their senators. American government also made sure that the officials who violated the law could be impeached, a word we take from the Roman practice of putting wayward magistrates in perdicia. The reliance on Roman structures at the birth of the United States was reflected in early American uh, culture. A larger-than-life statue of Washington in a toga and sandals is still on exhibit today in the National Museum of the American History in Washington. I thought that was funny. Rome will continue to lead the world until the masses have become captivated by peace, success, and prosperity under the guise of a democracy which will be led, unfortunately, by the Antichrist. So our government structure comes out of Rome. So Rome, in and of itself, really has not died, if we really think about it. But we're going to talk more about these governments and how this fits together and, and uh, some of the financial stuff probably next week a little bit. Okay? Questions, thoughts, concerns? Is this, are you guys getting anything out of this? Okay. All right. Because we can change the, the format a little bit if we need to. But I want to I wanna give it to you as much as I can, but, but have us look at all these things and, and sort of roll these things over in our mind and think about these things. Because there's a lot of interesting facts here that, that actually come out of Daniel's time frame and what Daniel's going to do. But the interpretation of the dream and what happens after that fact is, is, is going to get a little more intense as we delve into this over the next few weeks. Okay? All right. Everybody's good? No questions, no thoughts on this so far. All right, we're getting, we're getting a mic ready here for some prayer and praise. Uh, I think... Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> that is a fact.
will you do on the day of reckoning? So Isaiah is addressing things in Israel with the Jewish community and, and things that were happening back there with Assyria and everything that it's nothing new under the sun that we're going through now. No. Yeah. You know, and if we make laws and do things that are against God's will, there's going to be a reckoning day. Yeah. And it's a warning. And I think the warning continues on. It never stops. So that was just something I was thinking yeah. in terms of what's happening in, in our different countries. Yeah. The warning's already there. Yeah. Already the warning's been there for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me. I bet... I. I we're not supposed to gamble. <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind that if you guys went out of here and asked five of your neighbors if they knew that our current laws came out of the Roman government structure, they wouldn't know it. There's, there's so much tied back to different cultures and different things that, that, our, that our government has adopted and adapted along the way that we tend to forget those things sometimes. And some of this stuff, some of this stuff, they don't always teach some of this stuff in school, especially now. I'm not sure what they teach in school now. Rafi, you have a mic that works? We're on. All right. Praises, prayer requests, all the way over here. Minister Dennis and Miss Kathy. Some glad morning when this life is o'er.